0: Welcome to another episode from 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. A prolific and versatile writer, Ambrose Bierce was regarded as one of the most influential journalists in the United States. He wrote on every topic, from Western genre to satire and Civil War to horror. For his horror writing, Michael Durda ranked him alongside Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft. His war stories, influenced Stephen Crane, Ernest Hemingway, and others, and he was considered an influential and feared literary critic. One of his best-known short stories, An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, is included in our show archives here, now available to premium members. See our show notes for details. In December of 1913, Beers traveled to Chihuahua, Mexico to gain firsthand experience of the Mexican Revolution. He disappeared and was rumored to be traveling with rebel troops. He was never seen again. And now, A Fruitless Assignment by Ambrose Bierce. Henry Saylor, who was killed in Covington in a quarrel with Antonio Finch, was a reporter on the Cincinnati commercial. In the year 1859, a vacant dwelling in Vine Street in Cincinnati became the center of a local excitement because of the strange sights and sounds said to be observed in it nightly. According to the testimony of many reputable residents of the vicinity, these were inconsistent with any other hypothesis than that the house was haunted. Figures with something singularly unfamiliar about them were seen by crowds on the sidewalk to pass in and out. No one could say just where they appeared upon the open lawn on their way to the front door by which they entered nor exactly what point they vanished as they came out. Or rather, while each spectator was positive enough about these matters, no two agreed. They were all similarly at variance in their descriptions of the figures themselves. Some of the bolder of the curious throng ventured on several evenings to stand upon the doorsteps to intercept them, or, failing in this, get a nearer look at them. These courageous men, it was said, were unable to force the door by their united strength, and always were hurled from the steps by some invisible agency and severely injured, the door immediately afterward opening, apparently of its own volition, to admit or free some ghostly guest. The dwelling was known as the Roscoe House, a family of that name having lived there for some years, and then, one by one, disappeared, the last to leave being an old woman, Stories of foul play and successive murders had always been rife, but never were authenticated. One day, during the prevalence of the excitement, Sailor presented himself at the office of the commercial for orders. He received a note from the city editor, which read as follows. Go and pass the night alone in the haunted house in Vine Street, and if anything occurs worthwhile, make two columns sailor obeyed his superior he could not afford to lose his position on the paper apprising the police of his intention he effected an entrance through a rear window before dark walked through the deserted rooms bare of furniture dusty and desolate and seating himself at last in the parlor on an old sofa which he had dragged in from another room watched the deepening of the gloom as night came on before it was altogether dark The curious crowd had collected in the street, silent as a rule, and expectant, with here and there a scoffer, uttering his incredulity and courage with scornful remarks, or ribald cries. None of them knew of the anxious watcher inside. He feared to make a light. The uncurtained windows would have betrayed his presence, subjecting him to insult, possibly to injury. Moreover, he was too conscientious to do anything to enfeeble his impressions and unwilling to alter any of the customary conditions under which the manifestations were said to occur. It was now dark outside, but light from the street faintly illuminated the part of the room that he was in. He had set open every door in the whole interior, above and below, but all the outer ones were locked and bolted. Sudden exclamations from the crowd "'caused him to spring to the window and look out. "'He saw the figure of a man "'moving rapidly across the lawn toward the building, "'saw it ascend the steps, "'then a projection of the wall concealed it. "'There was a noise as of the opening "'and closing of the hall door. "'He heard quick, heavy footsteps along the passage, "'heard them ascend the stairs, "'heard them on the uncarpeted floor of the chamber "'immediately over his head. "'Sailor promptly drew his pistol and groping his way up the stairs, entered the chamber, dimly lighted from the street. But no one was there. He heard footsteps in an adjoining room and entered that. It was dark and silent. He struck his foot against some object on the floor, knelt by it, passed his hand over it. It was a human head, that of a woman. Lifting it by the hair, this iron-nerved man returned to the half-lighted room below, "'carried it near the window, and attentively examined it. "'While so engaged, he was half-conscious "'of the rapid opening and closing of the outer door, "'a footfall sounding all about him. "'He raised his eyes from the ghastly object of his attention "'and saw himself the center of a crowd of men and women dimly seen. "'The room was thronged with them. "'He thought the people had broken in. "'Ladies and gentlemen,' "'he said coolly. "'You see me under suspicious circumstances, but... "'His voice was drowned in peals of laughter, "'such laughter as is heard in asylums for the insane. "'The persons about him pointed at the object in his hand, "'and their merriment increased as he dropped it, "'and it went rolling among their feet. "'They danced about it with gestures grotesque "'and attitudes obscene and indescribable. "'They struck it with their feet.' urging it about the room from wall to wall, pushed and overthrew one another in their struggles to kick it, cursed and screamed and sang snatches of ribald songs as the battered head bounded about the room, as if in terror and trying to escape. At last the head shot out of the door into the hall, followed by all with tumultuous haste. That moment the door closed with a sharp concussion. Now Sailor was alone, in dead silence carefully putting away his pistol, which all the time he had held in his hand. He went to a window and looked out. The street was deserted and silent. The lamps were extinguished. The roofs and chimneys of the houses were sharply outlined against the dawn light in the east. He left the house, the door yielding easily to his hand, and walked to the commercial office. The city editor was still in his office, asleep, Sailor waked him and said, I have been at the haunted house. The editor stared blankly as if not wholly awake. Good God! he cried. Are you Sailor? Yes, why not? The editor made no answer, but continued staring. I passed the night there, it seems, said Sailor. They say that things were uncommonly quiet out there, the editor said, trifling with a paperweight upon which he had dropped his eyes. Did anything occur? Nothing whatever, answered Sailor. And we add this Ambrose Beer short story, A Man With Two Lives. By Ambrose Beers. Here is the queer story of David William Duck, related by himself. Duck is an old man living in Aurora, Illinois, where he is universally respected. He is commonly known, however, as Dead Duck. And this is his story In the autumn of 1866, I was a private soldier of the 18th Infantry. My company was one of those stationed at Fort Phil Kearney, commanded by Colonel Carrington. The country is more or less familiar with the history of that garrison, particularly with the slaughter of the Sioux of a detachment of 81 men and officers, not one escaping, through disobedience of orders by its commander, the brave but reckless Captain Fetterman. When that occurred, I was trying to make my way with important dispatches to Fort C.F. Smith on the Bighorn. As the country swarmed with hostile Indians, I traveled by night and concealed myself as best I could before daybreak. The better to do so, I went afoot, armed with a Henry rifle, and carrying three days' rations in my haversack. For my second place of concealment, I chose what seemed in the darkness a narrow canyon leading through a range of rocky hills. It contained many large boulders, detached from the slopes of the hills. Behind one of these, and a clump of sagebrush, I made my bed for the day, and soon fell asleep. It seemed as if I had hardly closed my eyes, "'though in fact it was near midday "'when I was awakened by the report of a rifle, "'the bullet striking the boulder just above my body. "'A band of Indians had trailed me "'and had me nearly surrounded. "'The shot had been fired with an execrable aim "'by a fellow who had caught sight of me "'from the hillside above. "'The smoke of his rifle betrayed him, "'and I was no sooner on my feet "'than he was off his and rolling down the declivity.' Then I ran in a stooping posture, dodging among the clumps of sagebrush in a storm of bullets from invisible enemies. The rascals did not rise in pursuit, which I thought rather queer, for they must have known by my trail that they had to deal with only one man. The reason for their inaction was soon made clear, however. I had not gone a hundred yards before I reached the limit of my run, the head of the gulch which I had mistaken for a canyon. "'It terminated in a concave breast of rock, "'nearly vertical and destitute of vegetation. "'In that cul-de-sac I was caught like a bear in a pen. "'Pursuit was needless. "'They had only to wait. "'And they waited. "'For two days and nights, crouching behind a rock "'topped with a growth of mesquite and with a cliff at my back, "'suffering agonies of thirst and absolutely hopeless of deliverance, "'I fought the fellows at long range.' "'firing occasionally at the smoke of their rifles, "'as they did at that of mine. "'I, of course, did not dare to close my eyes at night, "'and lack of sleep was a keen torture. "'I remember the morning of the third day, "'which I knew was to be my last. "'I remember, rather indistinctly, "'that in my desperation and delirium "'I sprang out into the open "'and began firing my repeating rifle "'without seeing anybody to fire at. "'And I remember no more of that fight.' The next that I recollect was my pulling myself out of a river just at nightfall. I had not a rag of clothing and knew nothing of my whereabouts, but all that night I traveled, cold and foot sore, toward the north. At daybreak I found myself at Fort C.F. Smith, my destination, but without my dispatches. The first man I met was a sergeant named William Briscoe, whom I knew very well, You can fancy his astonishment at seeing me in that condition and my own at his asking who the devil I was. Dave Duck, I answered. Who should I be? He stared like an owl. You do look it, he said, and I observed that he drew a little away from me. What's up? he added. I told him what had happened to me the day before. He heard me through, still staring. Then he said, My dear fellow, if you are Dave Duck, I ought to inform you that I buried you two months ago. I was out with a small scouting party and found your body, full of bullet holes and newly scalped, somewhat mutilated otherwise, too, I'm sorry to say, right where you say you made your fight. Come to my tent and I'll show you your clothing and some letters that I took from your person. The Commandant has your dispatches. He performed that promise. He showed me the clothing... "'which I resolutely put on, "'the letters which I put into my pocket. "'He made no objection, "'then took me to the commandant, "'who heard my story, "'and coldly ordered Briscoe "'to take me to the guardhouse. "'On the way I said, "'Briscoe, did you really and truly "'bury the dead body that you found "'in these togs?' "'Sure,' he answered, "'just as I told you. "'It was Dave Duck, all right. "'Most of us knew him. "'And now, you damned impostor, You better tell me who you are. I'd give something to know, I said. A week later, I escaped from the guardhouse and got out of the country as fast as I could. Twice I've been back, seeking for that faithful spot in the hills, but unable to find it. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. We hope you're not having to put up with ghostly guests For a great tale about a ghostly guest that visits a Western campfire, check out The Stranger by Ambrose Bierce in our archives. It's one of our top, it's one of our most listened to episodes. It's called The Stranger by Ambrose Bierce. One note for you, I had previously announced that 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales was switching to Wednesday nights, but I have decided to leave it Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as always. Just so you know. Don't forget to check out our new app, 1001 Stories Network, in our show notes. The app is free and it's available now at Apple Apps and at Google Play Android Apps. And also, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. You'll be able to access all of our episodes on all three of our shows, and using the app makes all that easier. It's $2.99 a month to become a premium member. We appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon.